Welcome to Financially Ever After, where award-winning and nationally recognized financial expert Stacy Francis will bring you savvy tips and words of wisdom on how to secure your financial future before, during, and after divorce. For 30 minutes every other week, you'll hear personal stories from women who have either faced or are currently facing this transition. In addition, you'll also soak up knowledge and inspiration from the industry's top legal, financial, residential, and mental health professionals. And now here's our host, Stacy Francis. Thank you so much, Steve. We are here today at Financially Ever After, and we have uh, Randy Carmel, who is going to be talking to us about what we need to be thinking about through the divorce process if we have children with any type of special needs. And special needs can mean many different things from uh, just someone that might need a little occupational therapy or or physical therapy to someone who is very far on the spectrum that might need 24-hour care. So obviously with all these different needs, emotionally, physically, and, and financially, there's a lot to think about. And Randy knows what she's talking about. Randy is the owner of Randy Carmel uh, PLLC. She's been practicing in this area in law for over 20 years, acquiring extensive litigation and trial experience. She's currently representing clients in negotiating prenups, mid-nuptial agreements, also separation as well as settlement agreements, uh, as well as actions for divorce that include equitable distribution, maintenance, visitation, support, and custody. She is very active in the matrimonial field. She's a member of the family law section of the New York State Bar Association, the Brooklyn Bar Association, as well as the Women's Bar Association of both New York and, and Kings County. Randy received her JD from American University Washington College of Law. I've been fortunate enough to know Randy now for nine years, and she's worked with many of our clients. And um, I always joke that my my marriage is so secure because my husband knows that um, that I know Randy, and I would have first dibs on her. Um, but knock on wood, um, we're happily married. So, in fact, just celebrated 15 years and going stronger than we ever have. So. But today we're going to be talking about, um, you know, a really important topic. But before we do that, I'd love to hear from you, Randy. You know, how did you get into this field? And you bring such passion to it that um, it's most likely a story that you have found um, that there's got to be a reason essentially driving your passion. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Well, thank you. Um, I think the first thing is I was a prosecutor. So I worked for five years in the district attorney's office representing victims. And then I did a little criminal defense work because it's always good to have both sides. Um, I wanted to be well-rounded. And I think that you hear both sides and it makes you a better lawyer. I've always gravitated to an area of the law which is extraordinarily emotional, whether it's with victims or with people who have jail sentences hanging over their heads um, or custody cases, neglect, abuse. It just seemed very natural for me to want to make a difference every single day in somebody's very personal life. And what's personal uh, than your children? What's more Mm -hmm. personal than that? Even your finances are extraordinarily 
personal. So it just was an area that I gravitated to. I had done some criminal defense work as well as matrimonial. I did not believe that you could do both you know, great. You have to really focus on one. And I started to really focus on the matrimonial that took off. And I focused a lot on children. Mm -hmm. I became a uh, certified to represent children in diverse cases and order protection cases. And I was actually assigned to some matters where the children were in fact, special needs children. Uh, one of my cases, a child had one of the rarest diseases that uh, maybe less than 20%, I'm sorry, 20 people, children have had that uh, in the United States at any given time. So I learned a lot. I learned about reading medical records. I learned a lot about, which I, which I actually knew how to do, but it was now a different focus. Different I learned what it does to a marriage. Mm -hmm. I also learned what expenses are ahead for the parents. So it became an issue not only for decision making, one parent may agree with certain therapy, another doesn't, that's an issue for custody, but they all have a financial aspect to it as well. And you cannot look at one without the other. Yeah. So it really just became more of a passion for me and to know that you can make a difference mm -hmm. uh, in somebody's life and especially a child's life. And I think it's amazing how you focused on children because uh, children are, are definitely impacted um, by divorce. They are. They're absolutely yeah. impacted. How, how are you seeing um, the number of cases that come to you with special needs children? I've, I've read certain studies that um, couples who have children, who have, you know, different, different unique needs, um, unfortunately, the divorce rates are higher. Do you see that as well? And, and why is that? Um, I actually represent, you know, husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, as well as children. So I have a very full practice. So I see it from every angle. Mm -hmm. I see it from the stay home parents perspective. I see it from the working parents perspective. I see it from both parents, the, the, the parent who actually works and takes care of the child. And I also now see it from the child's perspective yeah. and from teachers and therapists. Um, I do believe that it is harder to raise a special needs child on a, it's harder on a marriage. I do think that the numbers have increased. But what I see is I also see more children being diagnosed with special needs. Mm -hmm. That has been a phrase that many years ago you hardly heard. And now it is a phrase that you hear almost in, in every case. So as you said earlier, it does range from maybe needing some services, some occupational therapy, to really being a child that is almost homebound, which I've also represented. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it, it, it's extraordinarily uh, difficult, but it's also very prevalent in our society mm -hmm. now. And I do believe it has a very uh, big impact on married couples or just parents in general. And it certainly does add to the stress of a divorce. Yeah. How do you how do you deal with a um, a couple that comes in? You're, you could be representing the, the you know the wife or the husband, who have very different views about what the needs of the child are. How, that that's got to be a very uh, challenging place to be. It is 
challenging is the exact word for it. It is, it is also extraordinarily difficult at times because they each would have to show to some extent their support for what kind of therapy they believe their child needs or medication. That's usually the biggest fight is one parent wants a child on medication, one parent does not, and then as a kid gets older, the child has an opinion. I've had cases where the child did not like side effects, and I've had cases where the child begged for it because that child became more focused in school. So you wind up getting sometimes three different perspectives. I try to bring people to a common ground. Mm -hmm. I try to bring people to something that they could agree on. But if they do not agree, the court will make the decision, and that takes it out of the hands of the parents and mm-hmm. to me that's risky mm-hmm. because imagine being told you have to give your child medication because your spouse had the decision making for it and you really don't believe it so the best thing to do is to try to work with the doctors mm-hmm. with the people who are very involved in the child's life to see if there's some common ground that could make the parents agree on a little bit and then in time maybe a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easier with things uh, with therapy that do, that uh, do not involve medication. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the more difficult one because you can say put your child on medication as a test run, but the parent who really doesn't believe in it won't even do that. So that's the more difficult area. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the issues um, do parents need to be thinking about as they start this process? That's a very loaded question. It's and, a beautiful and it, question. And it's as broad as can right. be. Right. So we could now talk for two hours. Right. So to, to <laughs> narrow it down, first we will go with just decision-making, which is not a financial question, but it has financial impact. Decision-making, if you have, let's say, a child with autism, how often can that child go back and forth when the rhythm of the child needs to be almost identical every day? So is the child, when the child goes to the another parent, is it going to be difficult for that child because he or she doesn't know where the toothbrush is versus mm-hmm. being in the home that the child may have always known? So you have those issues. And of course, other than the stress for the child, then there's additional therapy, then there's additional issues with with the child. One of the things that affects um, the finances are Mm add-ons for child support. And what would be some of those add-ons that that you need to make sure that you're planning for? So there's basic child support, which goes for room and board, and then the add-ons are medical. Mm -hmm. So you have medical insurance, that's an add-on, but then you have medical costs, prescriptions, therapy, equipment, supplements, some dietary costs, some sensory items a child may need, uh, especially with autism. Um, This is not something that is common, but I try to bring this out. Respite care, and sometimes Mm -hmm. you need a nanny or help with your child, and that is not always authorized if it's not for when that parent is at work. Mm -hmm. So that's a little glitch in the system. You may need some additional help but child care is not always something that is mandatory if the parent is not out of the home working. So that's something that is now coming up in courts, just the mere professionals that you use um, and how to modify your home environment sometimes. Mm -hmm. The Department of Education, if your child needs a special school, the Department of Education is supposed to pay for 
that special school if a New York City public school cannot Fit accommodate the yeah. that that uh, the need of that child or the needs of the child. But you have to usually fight for that. You usually have to get an education lawyer. Yep. And that lawyer gets paid. And that lawyer gets paid off the top of the reimbursement for the school. So you are always thousands of dollars behind until your child is that last year of school and then you will get reimbursed for the attorney. So you're always somewhat laying out a yeah. certain amount of money every year. If the school is $70,000 and the lawyer was 10000 you're always $10,000 behind until the child is no longer in school. So this affects any kind of budgeting, any kind yeah. of planning. Where is the money coming yeah. from? And how to plan for it. And it's I don't believe it's been my experience that not everybody plans ahead mm-hmm. for something like this and that if you do it becomes easier but if you don't then you have the financial stress in addition to the other stresses of divorce what about some other things and it might even have fallen under what you talked about but going to certain camps um during the summer where you know you know you my son sebastian and and samantha they go to sailing camp and it's it's Perfect. It's great. It's right outside our door. Um, but for some kids, sailing camp doesn't work. They need a, a type of camp where it's much more expensive. The uh, counselor to uh, you know camper ratio is much smaller. They understand how to work with special needs kids. Is that also covered? Um, and under under this or is that an additional thing that needs to be spoken about that is an additional thing that needs to be spoken about so what I was actually uh, talking about was more of something that I believe would be mandatory yeah except for the respite which I clarified clarified yeah. that that would be maybe uh, something that would you'd have to fight for in court but what you said is an add-on that yeah. is not a mandatory add-on it's a discretionary camp is a discretionary add-on do most judges if we're looking at it from a legal perspective think that children should go to camp yes that's how most judges here view it in other countries not so much Mm -hmm. so when you have a parent that let's say one is from italy Mm -hmm. and one is from america okay or 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 new and, and specifically new york the italian parent may believe that traveling is the best summer vacation to go to four or five different uh, countries. Mm -hmm. And that is a a, a different issue. But for the courts, if the courts think that camp is in the best interest of the child, they will award um, fees for that or some payment for that. Mm -hmm. But again, it's very expensive to use one of these specialized camps and throughout the year to have all these other expenses. But yes, that is an add-on. It's a discretionary add-on, and it is something that parents should also try to budget for if they can. Mm -hmm. And agree upon so that they're not back in court five years down the line. Yes, that is always the best option is for there to be an agreement. Camp for a special needs child, I haven't seen in my practice that parents often fight about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Once in a while, you do have a scenario uh, where a parent doesn't think it's in the child's best interest or doesn't want to pay for it. But I very rarely see that Mm -hmm. in these cases. I think Mm -hmm. both parents feel that the 24-hour support 
is very good for their child. Yeah. It's just a matter of how you pay for it. Yeah. I've seen a lot of uh, parents disagree about special needs children who are considered adults, that are adults, about their care. And, you know, should we be paying for Johnny's rent? Um, she might say, of course, we have to pay for Johnny's rent, where he might say, or she might, I mean, because I've seen it on both sides, no way, Johnny can get out there. Um, this, I imagine, is is also a big, a big point of contention with it, some of these older children that have, you know, some challenges. It is, however, in the matrimonial courts, unless that child is somehow deemed to be unemancipated, which would likely happen in surrogate's court if the child is 25 years old, let's say, not a child anymore, um, we don't really deal with it that much. We mm-hmm. deal with somebody maybe requesting the child support go on until a yes. child is 25, which is well beyond the statute. But that would have to be on consent. For a judge to get involved, it would really be that the child is no longer emancipated even at 21 Mm -hmm. and uh that is i have not seen that kind of litigation um i would believe that some of it would have to be in surrogate's court to deem that adult really more of a dependent because child support in new york stops at 21 unless there is consent for it to to consent yeah but these are, you know, that's a financial issue that has yeah. a tremendous bearing. I have seen parents push for health care mm-hmm. past 21 mm-hmm. to 25 or 26. I have seen parents who say, I can't pay for X because I'm paying for my daughter's rent for the last three years. I have uh, clients who are paying far beyond what um, you would think for their children because they've been doing it for years and their children have some special needs and that's part of their budget. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, putting money aside. I know for a lot of parents are talking about college and, and what that might look like. For some of these kids, it's they're not necessarily going to college because they're so far on the spectrum. Are there any issues to think about specifically with trusts? and how to protect that money, especially if this is a a child that eventually is going to be on social security disability or receiving medical benefits through Medicaid. Trusts to me are the best way to handle things, all the, or to handle money in this situation. All the rules uh, that the parents want uh, covered for the child are all in a document. Mm -hmm. I think it's a wonderful way to save money and to put it in a trust. I'm not a tax lawyer, so there are tax Mm -hmm. benefits, Mm -hmm. which I should not speak about, but there are tax benefits to putting um, money in a trust for a child. The issue actually becomes when you start, and I always think the earlier you save, the better, Mm -hmm. even if it's a little bit. I feel like the earlier somebody starts to save for whatever reason, the better. But I also, but, but, but the real issue becomes who the um, trustee is going to be. There are times that one parent doesn't want the other parent to, to be, be the, the trustee. trustee. And that's huh. when you have some difficulty. So under the law, if we're just dealing with child support, that goes from one parent to the other. Mm-hmm. If we're dealing with life insurance, if a parent dies and still owes money to the other parent for uh, some sort of support, 
then technically that parent really should be the beneficiary Mm -hmm. for the benefit of the child. But let's say we go past age 21 and the parents agree that they want to have money in a trust or life insurance. The life insurance no longer has to be in a parent's name. It could be for the benefit of the child. But if the child is somehow incapacitated, who is the guardian? Mm-hmm. These are where the issues really come yeah. up. Um, but you you have to save early. You have to put it, uh, you know, again, you shouldn't put it in the life insurance in a child's name. People do. And it's incorrect. If the parent dies, then there will be a court proceeding yeah. regarding putting, giving a child who's seven years old money. So although yeah. people do it, it's incorrect. Mm-hmm. And it should be an adult. But the issue is who should be the trustee how the money should be dispersed, and how much you should start saving. Mm -hmm. And that trustee uh, essentially is making those decisions about how the money is going to be dispersed. And so I assume that that's that role, and that's why it's such a argued about role. She might want it because she has that power. He might want it because he wants that power. Is there, uh, have you seen some, some couples find a neutral Um, or another family member that that fulfills that role that is a you know able to bring a little bit of consensus yes or co-trustees co-trustees can't do something without the other so yes i have seen that i have seen actually somebody who worked in a bank that that's they trusted the the advisor in the bank to be one of the trustees so a corporate trustee yes and i think that that's a great idea somebody who you trust and somebody who both parties trust is you know is the person who's going to either make the decisions on things that are let's say broad so if you say the money should be spent in the best interest of the child then that person is really making very serious decisions what is in the best interest is it an apartment or is it being in a group home mm-hmm. what is the best interest that's difficult but if you have a trust that lays out exactly how the money is supposed to go and where it's supposed to go, it becomes a little easier. And I'm not opposed to some general provisions in trusts, as long as you trust the person who is going to uh, make that determination. So I, I can't believe we're going through so much time. What are some of the other things? Is there anything else that you would recommend to women who are starting this process, who who have children that have different different needs um, as they even to how do you choose a lawyer that knows this? Because this is not necessarily uh, an area that I imagine every matrimonial lawyer knows inside and out. I think most matrimonial lawyers know obviously the term special needs because you want to make sure that in the add-ons that your client is going to get the funds that are necessary or it's provided for. The details of working with a child, let's say with autism, no, unless you've actually represented one or had a client that it was a very big part of the case, then you may not know the details. You may not know that the Department of Education can reimburse for special, you know, uh, uh, classes or special uh, specialized school. I think that you should get a, not, not many people love to get a diagnosis, but I think that you should talk to doctors early on. Mm-hmm. I think you should let your lawyer somehow have some of those documents. I think that once you know whether there is a diagnosis or what kind of special classes your child may need, and again, it may just be something simple like occupational therapy, to then research how much that costs, yep. 
research how much talk to an occupational therapist. How long do you think my child's going to need that? And in a stipulation of settlement or in a trial, if it ever goes that far, you have the burden of saying, this is what my child's going to need. So I think you gather those experts early on. Mm -hmm. You have support for why certain money must be saved. I also think, which most people do not do, but um, having worked with people who don't have the finances sometimes that they should, um, I think sometimes it's a good idea if you do have a special needs child early on to have the parents put away money in a specific fund even if they're going through a divorce and they don't get along. Mm -hmm. It is not about the parents. It is about the child. So I do believe that you should come armed, for lack of a better word, with all the information so you can tell a judge, my client, my, my child doesn't, the, my client's child doesn't just need tutoring. She needs tutoring plus additional support immediately thereafter. And this is what we were advised by the child's therapist. You need to show a judge mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the lawyers and sometimes your spouse or the parent, the other parent, why you need certain funds. So the yeah. more information you have, the better. And I do believe you should sit with a, a certified divorce financial planner to figure out where you can save money, how you can, what you can spend it on. Yeah. And you should start as early as possible. It is the only way to mm -hmm. be prepared. And is there an option of, as you're looking at the equitable distribution, saying, you know, as we look at this, let's take this amount of money and put it to the side in a trust for these future expenses so that you've got the money, you know roughly how much it's going to cost because you've done exactly what you've said. You've gone out there, you've researched, you've talked to occupational therapists, and you've thought about the duration and and what those expenses are going to be. Is that one option that you've seen couples uh, use? That is a brilliant option. Uh, it is rare that two people who are fighting about money are going to agree want on to <laughs> agree and also to tie up their money. Yes. Most people going through a divorce do not want to be told what to do. So they don't want to necessarily say, hey, this is my equitable distribution, but I'm going to tie up a portion of it. That's why I believe you, you really need a lawyer who focuses very much on what a child is going to need. It does impact finances, yeah. but you have to, I think, say, how are you going to pay for this? You're 60 years old. Um, imagine what funds are you going to have? You had a child later in life that are, are going to pay for this. You need to put it into a perspective, almost yeah. the way a financial planner does. You need to put it in a perspective of what if, how many more years are you going to work? Isn't it better now to have the money set aside and live your life a certain way than 10 years from now? you're obligated in an agreement to pay something and you may not have you it. Can't. So you have to look at it as a very holistic type of, of view. Um, most parents look at it as a custody issue. Yeah. You cannot ignore the financial aspect yeah. of it. And biggest fail or biggest mistake you've seen um, couples with special needs children, have you seen any mistakes of uh, you know people coming back to you 10 years that might have worked with a, another lawyer or, or what What have you seen just essentially to, to let the listeners know I, I, make I, sure this doesn't happen I, I think and this is not just for special needs this is for almost every case yeah. people settle because they want it to be done sometimes to, to get it over to get with. it done 
my feeling is when you do have a client that really just wants to get it done, it is your ethical, legal, and in my opinion, just as a person, moral obligation to make sure they know what can happen two, three, four, 10, 15 years down the road. Mm -hmm. And some people say, I knew it wasn't a great agreement, but I was advised, and at the time, yes, I, I understood. Other people, and this is what I've seen, they were not advised, whether it's even in a letter, a waiver letter that says this is against counsel's advice, which I have done if somebody agreed, wanted something that was really what I thought terrible, but I think you need to lay it out in some sort of letter form in writing mm -hmm. that you know your child's expenses are going to be X. Yeah. Um, and, and that way it makes it easier when they don't get the funds that they want, the good news. So I could end on a, on a happier note. Judges are sympathetic to people with children and with special needs children, even if it's not in an agreement. If there are additional or much higher expenses, that person is very likely going to have that issue addressed in court yeah. by a judge. So the good news is that even though you have an agreement, judges sometimes or the courts soften the legal standard when you have a situation where yes, you agree to X amount for add-ons, but that really is no longer good because look where our child is now. Yeah. So that's the good part is the judges really are getting much more well-versed on that's special cool. needs children and the expenses associated with them. So Randy, you've talked a lot about some really important topics, particularly for any couples with special needs children. How can our listeners reach out to you and learn out more information about what you do? Thank you. Well, I have a website and it's www.randycarmel.com, R-A-N-D-I-K-A-R-M-E-L.com. My uh, contact information is on that website. My number is 212-755-0224. It is uh, very easy to reach me. I usually return calls pretty fast. And um, even if I'm in court, usually there will be a response uh, to to the person who called as to when I'm available. But it's uh, certainly an area that needs Exp, you know, exploration because it is now more prevalent than it ever. is. Yes. Yeah. I agree with you that this is um, only a topic that's going to to be more and more needed uh, and, and good solutions as, as couples look at this. So thank you for being here. And um, I encourage all of our listeners to visit www.randycarmel.com and uh, great information on her website also to let you know and, and some of the issues that you need to start to think about, um, particularly if you have a child with, with different needs. Um, and what I'm hearing from Randy here today is that knowledge is the most important piece that you need to be able to prove and have evidence of why you have these needs um, and what this is actually going to to cost. So thank you for being here. And thank you. I'm amazed that we were able to get through so much for a topic that is um, both important, but also, I'll be honest, pretty darn complex. It does get there, but uh, with the right team and the right people, it can all be accomplished. Thank you. Thank you. And Stacy, how do our listeners get in contact with you? Thanks, Steve. Um, if you want more information, uh, if you are a woman who realizes in the bottom of her soul that you're not 100% happy 
and you don't know everything you feel like you need to know about your finances, um, please reach out. Please reach out. And you can visit our website. That's www.francisfinancial.com, F-R-A-N-C-I-S, financial.com. We've got a lot of information there. And we also can share with you, uh, available right on our website, is amazing survey, a white paper we wrote after interviewing 150 women about their divorce journey. And it really brings to light their stories and what we see both from them, but also from from years of working in this field, uh, the do's and don'ts of divorce and how you can make sure that you're going to be financially secure because that is one of the biggest concerns that women have and that keeps them trapped. I know that that's, that's the reason why my grandma stayed and she told me it was because of, it was because of money and you should never stay in a marriage, a job, a any type of situation where that's the reason. Um, so please visit the website and then reach out to us because we're here and we understand and we're not judging. We're just here to listen and support and, and most importantly, to empower you. And, and we'll do that through our free second opinion program where you will learn about where all those assets are. If you don't know, we can help you find them. So really important and please do reach out.